Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. It is Tuesday, March 8th. My goodness, the year just keeps moving forward. And volatility remains in the ag industry. We're going to be covering a lot of different topics today as we start our conversation. We've got crude oil trading up $8, mixed trade in the grains, corn, front months up, summer months a little lower, beans still rallying higher. We'll talk all of those numbers, plus a look ahead to tomorrow's supply and demand estimates from the USDA in segment three with our good friend Arlen Suderman. We're going to talk also with Mike Strands. He's the vice president of advocacy with the National Farmers Union, and they've recently filed a complaint at the Federal Trade Commission against John Deere and their repair policies. Michael will give us an update on that in segment two. At the end of the show, we're going to talk with Willie Vote of Farm Progress. They've been doing a lot of reporting and digging onto how this Russia-Ukraine fight could impact the grain markets. He'll share that with us at the end of the show. But first, we are going to talk, as I mentioned, crude oil continues to rally. Energy is back in focus around the world, truly. And one of the places it's in focus is in vehicles. In December, the EPA rolled out their new final greenhouse gas standards for passenger vehicles, and they were strongly favoring EVs. Several ag groups and other affiliates have come out and have said, hey, we need to rethink this. And a number of soybean groups have come out. We're talking today with Kirk Leeds. He's the CEO of the Iowa Soybean Association, one of the commodity groups that has filed a petition about these numbers. Kirk, thanks for joining us today. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you. Tell us first, what in this final update from the EPA strikes you and soybean producers around the country as wrong with these final numbers from EPA? Well, I don't think it's new, but it's certainly been building for a long time. And, you know, we live in a society today where very little seems to be done by congressional authority, and it's done by regulators and, and bureaucrats. And so the EPA has been working on tailpipe, type, excuse me, tailpipe emissions for some time. But it's pretty clear when you take a look at it that there's a there's a political agenda here, selecting one technology over other technologies as it relates to reducing emissions, and that's clearly aimed toward electrification. And again, soybean farmers, Americans generally aren't opposed to electric vehicles, but when you have a regulatory approach which uh, very clearly is is trying to select one type of energy over another, and quite honestly puts liquid fuels, including uh, bio-based fuels, at a disadvantage. We think that's exceeding their authority, and so Iowa and a number of other state soybean organizations joined industry folks and said, and asked the courts really to step in and take a look at it and see if indeed that, as we argue, that they've exceeded their authority, again, to pick one type of vehicle moving forward through these regulations. Yeah, it was definitely, it, it appears like they are putting their thumb on the scale for sure. Kirk, as you think about the groups that have come together to ask the EPA to rethink this, it's an interesting coalition. Can you talk about some of the folks who have filed petitions to the EPA? Yeah, certainly. Beyond the state soybean organizations like Iowa Soybean, there have been a number of other folks. Uh, we joined together with Valero Energy and Renewable uh, Diesel folks. On the ethanol side, there were corn grower states that stepped in as well from an ethanol perspective. So, yeah, this is kind of, um, you know, for all the years that we have tangled with big oil and the oil industry, and certainly we have and we continue to have some significant uh, disagreements and uh, about some policies, particularly related to the RFS. But we do have some common interest here, and that is to protect uh, liquid fuels and to make sure that liquid fuels remain uh, viable and an option for Americans as we move forward. And so, so through a number of conversations with folks in the industry, we thought this was a good issue to, to have, uh, again, if you want to call it ag and oil get together and voice our concerns. So yeah, it's, it's kind of unusual. Again, uh, none of us are believing that all of our differences have disappeared, but we have a common interest here. And that is, again, to make sure that it's in just one technology that allows us to meet the greenhouse gas standards moving forward. Yeah, the ability to have flexibility in reaching these targets is crucial. And it seems as though that's one of the things that got lost with this final rule writing. Kirk, 
You mentioned this seems like it was a surprise to a lot of stakeholders over the past year. We've talked a lot about the push to decarbonize, but the importance of liquid fuels, particularly for trucks, especially. Did this announcement from EPA surprise folks who had been watching this space? I don't know if it's say surprise, but I think, you know, we have a tendency, unfortunately, in ag to stay, <clears throat> excuse me, stay so focused on legislative issues and, and monitor both at state and at the national level. We sometimes, I think, in fairness, haven't been as focused on uh, the regulatory approaches and, and what those regulatory approaches can do to us. And so so I don't think we were surprised. I, you know, the issue becomes not only is there clearly a political agenda here to electrify the industry, but there's also some bias in the research related to how they want to track indirect land use cost and how they want to ignore some of the cost of electric vehicles. This really is, this particular regulation is aimed at uh, light duty trucks, but our concern from a soybean and, and renewable biodiesel perspective is once you set the precedent on light duty trucks, you're going to just simply be able to roll this into, uh, you know, the heavier trucks that we, of course, are competing in the marketplace. So I, I think all those issues are are true. And I, and I think, again, as you think about what's going on is the lead into our interview this morning, you were talking about the, the crude oil prices and what's going on with the disruption and the tragedy that's occurring every day in Ukraine. I think it's, again, a reminder to all of us that we need all of the above if we're going to be able to supply energy to this country. All of the above, boy, that was a rallying cry 20 years ago after 9-11, and we recognized the value of energy security. Kirk, it's exciting to hear it coming back into the conversation, of course, unfortunate that it's happening on the back of this Ukrainian invasion. But as this topic grows and we have more conversations about it at the political level, does the science still support the cleaner emission claims that we make on the renewable side, Kirk? Absolutely. There's absolutely no doubt about it that when you use biofuels, it reduces emissions dramatically. Really, the argument gets down today with most of the environmental community is these indirect land use, where they want to claim that since we've had an expansion of soybeans coming out of wheat or some other crop, that, that soy, for example, is contributing to increased uh, greenhouse gas because we're putting more soy into production. Well, the reality is you and I both know those acres were in crop productions before. We're not bringing in, in the U.S., we're not burning trees, we're not bringing land into production. In fact, we have less land being produced than we used to. And so it's really a technical debate, if you will, by folks who have a political agenda, who are trying to make production agriculture look bad and have these studies, which really are not fair in the sense we don't do the same thing with all of the costs related to batteries and battery disposal and all those things. Again, we're not anti-electric vehicles. It just needs to be on a fair, um, kind of a fair plane, because again, we need we need them all. We're not going to be going to electric vehicles and heavy trucks in the near future. It's just not possible. We don't have the technology. We don't have the, um, the electric grid to do that. Our truck stops can't handle that kind of conversion. So we just need to make sure that, again, there's a viable pathway forward for liquid fuels. And we think this is a critically important regulation that's trying to interfere with that. Absolutely. But we'll see with this push higher in gas prices, maybe there will be some room to negotiate this down. Thanks to Kirk Lead, CEO of the Iowa Soybean Association. We appreciate you joining with us today. Thank you very much, Mike. And folks, stay with us. Mike Strands of the National Farmers Union will talk about their complaint to the FTC about John Deere when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. You know, this past week, we had that warm-up across much of the country. A lot of folks started getting those planters out, getting that equipment ready to get in the field for springtime, which means it won't be long before a lot of folks out there are having to deal with repairs, breakdowns in the field, expensive, time-consuming slowdowns that can disrupt planting. Well... National Farmers Union has come out and they've said the issue with repairs is too big. We need to look into this from the national level to talk about the complaint they filed last week with the Federal Trade Commission. Mike Strands, their vice president of advocacy, excuse me, Mike, joins us today. Mike, thanks for talking to us. Good morning, Mike. Glad to be here. Let's talk first about the petition you have filed. National Farmers Union and Farmers Union in several states throughout the Midwest filed a complaint about John Deere. Mike, fill us in. What were you guys arguing? Well, the bottom line is that we want to make sure farmers have affordable and timely access to repair their equipment and the services they need. Uh, Like you said, as the weather warms up and uh, time for field work comes around, we're going to need this, and our members are looking for ways to make sure they can stay in the fields and not be held up and tied up with all the extra time that sometimes comes around with uh, having limited access to repair services. So like we know, we have in the repair market, there's a monopoly and we get inflated prices and that's not fair. So we're trying to help out with uh, farmers and ranchers bottom line. And that's where this uh, complaint to the Federal Trade Commission comes in. So as you guys are, are filing your complaint with the FTC, what sort of stats and figures do you bring to bear so that the folks at the FTC pay attention to the petition that you filed? Sure. So you know, we are uh, we're bringing this complaint forward as an antitrust complaint. Uh, and we are saying and alleging that by withholding the diagnostic codes and software that we would need to repair our equipment, John Deere is violating antitrust laws, particularly the Sherman Act. And we know that there's uh, you know, 92% of farmers out there know that they could save money if they have better access to independent repair or could make all the repair themselves. And also in a recent study, 77% of the farmers surveyed told us that they bought older model equipment to avoid the software and newer equipment. That's a topic that's come up time and time again when speaking to our members about what they're trying to uh, 
what we're trying to accomplish here. So those are some of the perspectives we've brought in here, and that's why we're bringing the complaint forward. So as this rolls forward, Mike, of course, planting season is just around the corner. On an issue like this, where you're bringing a complaint to a federal body, what sort of timeline do you expect? Do you anticipate a reading of your complaint and action in the short term, or is this a long process that's just getting underway? We've had some close conversations with the Federal Trade Commission in recent uh, weeks and months. And in fact, the uh, chair of the Federal Trade Commission, Lena Khan, uh, offered some recorded messages uh, to the National Farmers Union Convention we held last week in Denver. So we've been in touch with them and we'll continue to work with them as this petition moves forward. Uh, it may well be a while. Uh, the commission might have the ability to read and get into the specifics more on this and get investigations up and running and making the next moves from the agency standpoint. Uh, but as far as immediate outcomes, it, it might be a little while yet. So we're expecting this to be weeks and months rather than days. Okay, we'll just have to keep an eye on the situation. Mike, as you look out long term, as you look out towards a resolution, for this to be resolved in a way that, that NFU supports, what would you like to see John Deere change? How would you like their business practices to modify? modify and, and what sort of pressure can listeners put on from the ground? Yeah, well, one of the uh, spots where we you know, can identify where there's a problem is that we suspect a lot of this comes down to profit motive from John Deere. And we've heard from experts that Deere's margins on repairs have been three to six times uh, more profitable than on the sale of machinery. Uh, so it's clear that there's a, a big piece of the business model uh, that is uh, underway that comes from these sort of restrictions on repairs. We need to see that loosened up. And when there's so few players in the ag equipment economy in the sector, uh, it's clear that those who are operating as and selling machinery to farmers have great outsized power over uh, how we are able to run our farm operations. So we'd like to see uh, less of the stranglehold placed on farmers here. I think that you know there's uh, we want to be able to uh, fix our own equipment. Farmers want that. 95% of the surveyed farmers in a recent study support the right to repair, and we need to have greater ability to do that. So we're hopeful that that can be loosened up and be improved by this petition and the complaint with the Federal Trade Commission. Some of the ways that individual farmers and ranchers can speak up about this is not just on right to repair, but across all the fairness for farmers type issues we have, whether it's in the meatpacking industry or if it's in uh, so many other sectors of agriculture where there's so few choices, uh, we need farmers to speak up about this. We know that as food prices rise, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing at farmers for this, uh, especially with the geopolitical forces at play. But you know, as we know, only 14 cents on the dollar spent on food at the grocery store gets back to farmers. There's a lot more in the middle that are taking advantage of the situation. So we need farmers and ranchers to speak up, learn more about how this is happening, and uh, help ensure that we have fairness for farmers in the ag economy. Absolutely. And speaking up, Mike, I think is so vital because you hit the nail on the head. We are going to see food prices climb and we're heading into both a midterm election cycle in 2022 and a farm bill renegotiation in 2023. From the Farmers Union perspective, Mike, as these farm bill negotiations are kicking off, are there any items that you at NFU will fight tooth and nail to see remain in the farm bill in 23? Yeah, so... You know, we spent a lot of time at our national convention last week talking about priorities for the year ahead. And like you noted, 2023 is, in fact, a farm bill year. Uh, there's a lot of, or 2023 is a farm bill year, and there are a lot of uh, priorities out there. Uh, one of the cornerstones of our Farmers Union policy is that we need to make sure that there's an ability for family farmers and ranchers to be able to remain strong to be the lifeblood of our rural communities and to make sure that uh, farm policy is crafted to make sure that there is a vibrant community in our rural areas that starts with farmers and ranchers. It's not specifically about 
the uh, total amount of food produced or the amount of commodities out there. It's about how many farmers are able to prosper and thrive. So with our and with that, oh, uh, go ahead, oh, Mike. Sorry, go ahead. Apologies, Mike. I was well, I was just going to say, in order to keep farmers thriving, are there aspects of the farm bill that you identified at your meeting that you'd like to see change that you think maybe just don't keep up in this era of volatility and high input prices? Sure. Well, one of the spots that we identified is uh, having fairness for farmers, like we've been working on with our campaign, the Fairness for Farmers campaign. I think there's a movement afoot to look at a new title in the farm bill. A competition title and that could encompass a number of livestock provisions whether it's about cattle market price transparency whether it's, it could be as far reaching as right to repair it could be about country of origin labeling some of these fairness and competitiveness provisions uh, ought to be included in the next farm bill so as to make sure that it's a priority not just uh, throughout the administration and through kind of uh, hit or miss uh, efforts in Congress, but something that is stated firmly, strongly in our agriculture policy through the farm bill. So that's one And Mike, as you've been having these conversations about adding another title to the farm bill, what's been the feedback from the legislators in DC? Is this something they could get on board with? Well, I think we've, I think we've got a long ways to go in, in the process here, obviously, with 2023 coming up. Uh, a lot of the legislators are in kind of a wait and see mode. For one, for one thing, it's that we have a lot of uh, uh, a lot of interest in these competition efforts outside of the farm bill. Hopefully, we can get them done sooner rather than later. But the uh, the question is that in order to make this a long-term, long-standing piece of our farm policy, we need to have it uh, enshrined in the 2023 farm bill. So I think legislators are receptive to it, as they certainly have been with competition efforts, whether it's on uh, the meat sector or food prices or country of origin labeling or right to repair. But uh, we may be driving towards the spot where it's all pulled into the farm bill. All right. Lots of things to keep an eye on. Mike Strands, Vice President of Advocacy with National Farmers Union. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. And folks, stick around. Arlen Suderman of StoneX will join me in the next segment. We're going to look ahead to tomorrow's supply and demand estimates from USDA. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look here at the grain and livestock markets, we see cattle and hogs trading higher. Soybeans are higher as well with corn mixed, while wheat futures, we are seeing uh, wheat, especially Chicago wheat, trading lower for the first time off of limit highs since Thursday. Now, Russia continues to pay a heavy price for invading Ukraine. As several media sources are reporting, the U.S. is set to ban imports of Russian oil. The White House expected to announce that ban sometime here on Tuesday morning. And this is a change in position as public opinion rapidly strengthens towards cutting ties with Russian energy following its invasion of Ukraine. Oil and natural gas exports are the financial lifeline financing Russia's war machine. Russia is the world's largest exporter of those two energy commodities, which have largely been exempted from sanctions at this point. Now, stocks are trying to stabilize here this morning. The Dow is down 48. Crude oil again continues to surge up 874 a barrel at 128.14. 
Taking a look at market numbers right now, May quarter, and that is up three and a half, seven fifty-four to quarter. December quarter up three to quarter, six forty-six. May soybeans up twenty-four three quarters, sixteen eighty-four to quarter. November new crop beans up nine and three quarters, fourteen sixty-two and three quarters. Soybean meal for May, that is currently trading up ten thirty a ton at four sixty-nine. Maybe oil up one hundred twenty-three points, seventy-five forty-five. May Chicago wheat down ten and a half, twelve eighty three and a half. July down sixty and three quarters, eleven ninety one and three quarters. May Kansas City wheat down forty seven and three quarters, twelve oh three and three quarters. July down fifty five and a quarter, eleven seventy eight and a half. Spring wheat for May down thirty seven and a half, eleven sixty. July down thirty eight at eleven thirty. April live cattle up eighty five, one thirty eight seventy five. June up sixty seven, one thirty four sixty. March feeder cattle up 67, 155.27. April hogs up 282 at 103.10. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Boy, I tell you what, folks, if you have been watching the markets, you have probably not been sleeping very well because things have been moving and they've been moving a lot in the overnights. Arlen Suderman, the chief commodities economist with Stonex, joins us today to look at these markets. And Arlen, have you been able to get any sleep with all this market movement? It certainly has been challenging, and, and it's been frustrating uh, to our customers to see this type of volatility, especially when you can't trade, uh, as was the case for a Chicago May Week contract for a long time. So there were a number of players in that market that uh, were trapped in their positions and unable to get out. That was rather painful for a period of time. We have finally got that contract trading now. The Chicago May Week contract has traded over a dollar sixty trading range just today alone it's trading with a dollar 30 um, uh, daily limit today which means it could potentially go up a dollar 30 or down a dollar 30 or both in the same day um, so uh, a lot of volatility continues to be the factor and that's just kind of the poster child for what we're seeing in the rest of the markets as well it is. And Arlen, let's talk about this wheat market, because that was an incredible thing to watch that thing lock limit from Thursday through last night. Now that those shorts have been blown out, now we can see this market adjust to the fundamentals. Where do you see wheat headed here in the short term? Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, because initially it was all about the emotion. Yes, there's a fundamental aspect, and that was, oh, no, world supplies are, have tightened up now. We have less wheat available to us. Um, so that's what made prices go up. But then it was about the emotion. Oh, we got to get out of positions, got to get out of positions. Now that that's happened, now it's kind of, okay, now we have to reallocate the supplies that are out there, figure out who has wheat, who needs wheat, where does it need to flow, what are the classes of wheat that are in short of supply, what may we be able to adjust to utilize some of the classes that maybe may not be ideal, but maybe we can still use. I think that we'll see more Australian wheat come on the market. I think we'll see India come more on the market to try to fill some of the gap. There may be some quality issues with some of that wheat from India. 
um, but overall it will still be a provider. We, we may feed less wheat in the world this year to provide some more. We do feed a lot of wheat in the world every year. If we feed less, that puts more emphasis on feeding corn and other feed grains. So it starts to tighten up that balance sheet. And so now we'll start shifting around between balance sheets. Um, so there's going to be a lot of up and down days. I wouldn't be surprised if we had a series of limit down days at some point and then see prices come right back up. So I think that's going to be the story until we really get a handle on the available supplies. And frankly, end users right now around the world are, are a little bit panicked, wondering if they'll be able to get enough wheat at any price. And so the market has to sort through that. Oof, boy, and sort it has. It has been really moving. Arlen, let's take a look at the corn market. We've got USDA, USDA March supply and demand estimates coming out tomorrow. As you think about this corn crop, do you anticipate these domestic ending stocks coming down again? Well, right now, USDA in their last report, we're forecasting ending stocks for the current marketing year of about 1.54 billion bushels. That's a little over 10% of annual usage. Um, I'm anticipating we're going to start seeing that ratchet down, probably not so much in this report, because I think USDA is going to be reluctant to make significant changes in its global balance sheet based on the Ukraine war until it knows more. It, that, that's kind of the approach it takes, kind of easy goes, be slow, um, and uh, not making significant changes. But by the April or May report, they're going to have to start making some of those changes. Uh, at that point, we're talking about um, maybe as much as 15 million metric tons of Ukrainian corn that has not been shipped yet, that probably won't get shipped most of that. And then we're also looking at the rapidly increasing probability they will not plant a corn crop this year, which means they're off the export market and they provide 16% of the world's exports every year, uh, that uh, they'll be off the world export market next year as well. And so that really starts to tighten up the balance sheet. Keep in mind that uh, about a quarter of the world's fertilizer comes from that area of the world as well. So that reduces the supply of fertilizer available for growing corn around the world, may reduce overall global production further. So we do see things tightening down. And if particularly, and this is what I've been watching, if China starts to fear a short crop in 2022, then I think they start picking up their purchases of U.S. corn. Right now what they're taking shipment of is corn that they bought a year ago. And they had a lot on the books. They finally started taking and ship, getting it shipped. I think that if they start fearing a shortfall, they'll start adding to what they have on the books and start buying more. We did see a significant sale uh, of about 330,000 metric tons. I think it was on Thursday of last week. But that was to unknown destinations. Was that China? Maybe. But there's a number of countries that use that designation in corn. So we can't say definitively until it gets freight assigned to it. But I do think we're going to start seeing an increase in exports for corn both this year and definitely next year. All right. Good news those there for those folks going out planting this corn with these incredibly high-priced inputs. Arlen, you, t you said that Ukraine accounts for 16% of the global exports for corn. They are a much larger percentage of global sunflower oil exports. We've been seeing bean meal rally incredible prices for bean meal, excuse me, and bean oil. Do you think this bean oil rally continues? Yeah, the interesting thing is, is sunflower oil is one of those edible oils, and 75% of the world's um, exportable sunflower oil comes from Russia and Ukraine combined. Um, half, half of the world's exportable sunflower oil comes from Ukraine. And again, that crop probably won't get planted this year, or at least not enough to really be notable exporters. So that further tightens up the supply. The supply of edible oils was already relatively tight. 
partially because of increased uses for the edible oils in food, but also partially because of the rise in renewable fuels that are based use the edible oils as a feedstock. So the price of oil is going up rapidly, trying to slow the development of those renewable fuels right now so that they don't use so much, trying to get a balance of supply and demand. The market will take prices high enough to shut down that demand, to shut down some of the development of those plants or to slow their expansion or slow their opening, etc., until we get edible oils back up. I would anticipate that it will be tempting for farmers in the plains to grow more edible oils this year, be it canola, be it uh, sunflower oil, be it soybeans, Uh, particularly in the northern plains and Canadian prairies. I think we'll see the market doing its work to do that. So the market will try to do that. that, that. Keep in mind, that's fighting other crops who also want increased acreage as well. But that will be an area where I think we see some of that. Um, but that will also work its way into higher food prices and the inflation we see at the grocery store as well. Yeah, that inflation is not done cooking for some time. Arlen, as you think about the soybean ending stocks number tomorrow from that supply and demand estimate, do you foresee big changes? Or again, is USDA going to move slowly on this issue? Well, I think USDA is going to move slowly. I think it'll move too slowly, but I do expect some changes, and I think the potential for surprises is probably biggest there. When I look at our survey-based production estimate in Brazil, which continues to go down, but it's very close to other private estimates in Brazil, we're at 121.2 million metric tons, down from originally at 145 million metric tons. In fact, if you look at the lost production in Brazil, along with Paraguay and Argentina to this point, and we've been very conservative with my uh, yield reduction in Argentina this early in the planting season or in the growing season, we've already lost about 1.3 billion bushels of soybean production in South America due to this drought. USDA has been very slow to acknowledge that. In fact, they've been embarrassingly slow compared to all the other sources and even CONAB, which is their equivalent in Brazil, which is about 9 million metric tons smaller than where they are for Brazil. So I do expect USDA to make a more significant change but not come all the way. And the question is, how do they balance that out in the balance sheet? Are they just going to cut Chinese demand? Are they going to recognize that the only other place that people have to get those soybeans is from the United States and raise our export target for the last part of this marketing year? That's what I think they're eventually going to have to do, tightening our supplies. And so my ending stocks estimate is 182 million bushels, and that's assuming smaller Chinese demand. That's assuming that high prices ration soybean crush numbers as well. Arlen, I know you watch big, broad economic factors as well. We're expected to get an update shortly here in the next week or so from the Federal Reserve. Do you think it's just a 25 basis point rate hike that's coming, or will they go bigger? I think the expectation was for a 50 basis point rate hike until Russia went into Ukraine, and now the expectation is 25 basis points um, because the thinking is the way the Fed works that it's going to be afraid to go too far too fast. I think it could very easily do a 50 basis point increase without really having significant adverse effect on the economy when inflation is so strong, uh, so many other factors, and that's a relatively small hike. We're still looking at negative real interest rates when you look at the rate of inflation at 40-year highs. Man, it is something else. Thank you for your insight. Arlen Suderman of StoneX, we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick around. Willie Vote of Farm Progress will join us after the break. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 
150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. This is Around the Table, where we discuss the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Todd Diesel. He's a crop nutrient expert with CHS, and we're going to discuss fertilizer considerations ahead of spring planting. Todd, can you give us an update on fertilizer pricing and supply? If we look at what really impacts the pricing of fertilizer, it's really the supply-demand economics. And this is a global market. So if we look at some of the things that have impacted over the past 12 months crop nutrients, we could throw out the supply chain disruptions. We had weather events. We had a tremendous amount of what we call maintenance turnarounds of production here in the U.S. that has really left us a bit short going into this season versus what we've been the last couple of years. As a result of that, we're seeing much higher values than we had last year. Spring planting is right around the corner. Todd, what can farmers do to make fertilizer planting decisions that work for them and their operation, given the current availability and pricing? Well, I think the key point there is planning. Anybody that takes the time today to sit down and literally plan with their local cooperative as far as what they're going to plant and what products they're really going to use is going to be in a much better position than somebody that just ignores the fact until the they expect to go in and just pick something up. And this is also a good time with prices elevated like they are to sit down and go through the four R's. And if we look at that, it's really using from a fertilizer standpoint, the right source at the right rate at the right time and also the right placement. So that's what I would say today to growers is make that plan, make sure somebody has your best interest and heart. That's Todd Diesel, CHS crop nutrient expert. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership by visiting cooperativeownership.com. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this week? Stop by the Intelligent Ag booth to talk with their specialist on how to overcome spraying and fertilizer spreading challenges and learn more about their new Recon Spray Sense solution that monitors real-time flow and pressure of all nozzles on sprayers. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the Intelligent Ag booth on Friday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. to talk about these hot topics in agriculture. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Well, folks, we've got breaking news this morning at 945 Central Time this morning. President Biden held a press conference and announced a ban on Russian oil imports. This is a ban that's going to cover Russian crude oil. It will cover Russian gas, natural gas, although we don't import a whole lot of that. Most of that's pipelines out into Europe and Russian coal. All of those are now being blockaded by the United States. And this is in coordination. It was a... Nancy Pelosi on Tuesday morning, this morning rather, uh, said that the House is going to move forward with a vote on a bill that would do the same thing if Biden didn't act. So we did have that action today. As of right now, we continue to see volatility in the crude oil space, crude West Texas Intermediate. Again, that's the American crude oil price, the benchmark. The European crude oil price is that Brent crude benchmark. Brent typically trades a little higher. That's no exception. It's trading at $132 today. West Texas Intermediate April is trading at $128, up $10 today in crude oil. Expect that to filter down to your gas pumps here shortly. But this is just another indication as to the far-reaching impacts this Russian invasion of Ukraine has had. Media groups across the world have been diving in to assess just how this could have an impact on the ground here in the United States. One of the groups that has performed, I, I think, really an incredible look at how this could play out is Farm Futures by Farm Progress. And Willie Vote, the editorial director with Farm Progress, joins us this morning. Willie, you guys took a deep dive into the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Tell us, what all did you take a look at at Farm Progress as to how this could impact American farmers? Good to talk to you, Mike. I, I think what we started with was what really is going to happen. So we brought in some experts. Obviously, we did some content on our websites, and we also did some live interviews and incorporated them in this uh, special report you're talking about. One of the things we wanted to look at is there's two areas that I think people want to look at, grain flows and what that might mean, and input flows, which is energy and fertilizer and what those might mean. And we looked at all of those in depth in this report. And it's fascinating. The number of experts you guys brought on, I was reading, I believe it was uh, John Green had an article and the headline jumped out at me. Could Ukrainian planting disruption push corn past $8? Willie, we're in rarefied air here in these markets, aren't we? We are. And it's, and it's, a, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a horrible yay boo, right? As a, as a corn farmer in the United States, that's a price you've never seen before or you haven't seen since, what is it, eight, July 2012 or 2013, whenever that happened. Yeah, That's coming up on great, nine years. The, yeah, but the boo is that why you're having it, right? This horrible devastation in Europe. And I think we need to be cognizant of that. This, uh, as Bill Biederman discussed in the report that we got, uh, he talked about the fact that this looks really good, Mike, but one bad piece of information in the bottom could fall out of this. And so I think those are the things that we need to keep in mind. It's we're in rarefied air. You, need, you should be locking in what you can. You should be uh, protecting your uh, price of your crop, even for your 2022 crop, in any way you can with hedging or any other tools. Options are a good tool. Those are the kinds of messages we picked up on this because these are the situations that um, look great today, but just like we watched with the oil price, what is it? Oil jumped 40 bucks in two days. I mean, you know, corn could drop to 350 overnight if some weird thing happens too. We need, I don't want to scare anybody, but this is the kind of volatility we're dealing with. It is. It is really, really, uh, and I don't want to say unheard of. I'm sure we've got listeners who have traded in volatile yeah. times in the past. Ag has seen volatile time periods, but in my lifetime, or at least in recent history, this is the most volatile picture we've seen. Uh, Willie, you folks also looked at the impact of the Ukrainian invasion on feed costs for U.S. producers. Animal agriculture has been struggling with this rally in grain prices. Willie, did you see any moderation in uh, the research that you performed, or do you think prices are going to be staying high all year well unless a black swan event happens to drop it of course it's 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 important to understand how black sea wheat plays into the feed stocks market i think richard brock deals, deals with all of this type of thing the corn market where it is this is a lot of pressure on livestock the swine industry the poultry industry it's just going to push prices up for them in their inputs and of course it's uh, on the beef and the poultry end most of those guys are price takers right they just get what the market gives them uh, the uh, aggregators and the integrators get to make up the difference on the input costs. On the on this, though, we're not going to see help for a while. But we need to watch this. If Ukraine does get to plant, that could make a difference. It could send a market signal that kind of moderates this. But there's so many so many questions about how we'll move this grain flow. You know, you know there are already ships locked up in the Black Sea that can't go anywhere. 
Uh, think about fertilizer, and let's think of the bigger picture on fertilizer. When we were in this conversation with Sam Taylor at Robo Research, one of the things he brought up is we, and I just, you know, I was listening as I came on, we have some shortages in the United States right now, but I think we're pretty well set for this planting season. There will be some issues. I'm not mitigating that. But the bigger issue is Brazil and Argentina, South America, were big buyers of Russian and Belarusian um, fertilizer, potash, those, and those products, right, and, and uh, urea and, and even UAN. And those aren't going to go anywhere. So this will put South America in a different position, which could be a different market factor to keep in mind six months down the road, right? When we're in the middle of our harvest, they're in the middle of their planting. What do they get? Can they plant? These are all at play in the market today. They sure are. And there's even more than that. I know at the end of your report, you look at some of the other factors that are moving the markets. Willie, for listeners who are curious about how the Ukraine situation could impact grain prices throughout this summer and into the fall, where can they go to find the, the Farm Progress Ukraine-Russia report? Well, they have to go to farmfutures.com. It's on our homepage there. It's a special report on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. You open that up, there's a story there and many links. Just click one of those links and go in and you can download the entire report. Um, it's a it's a digital operation. It's a digital tool that allows you to read, but also there are video interviews there, so you can hear from Bill Biederman, you can hear from Sam Taylor exactly what they're saying. Look at the maps, and also take a look at that story uh, from Mr. Green on the pr potential price of corn. So it's a good deep dive into this, and also just go to farmfutures.com to keep up. We keep updating. Right after we did the report, Mike Wilson also did a story on a Illinois native Illinois farmer looking forward to now the farm forty four thousand acres. All right, 44,000 acres might be going in the ground. Thanks to Willie Vodig, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Willie, appreciate your insight. Thanks very much, sir. Talk to you later. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk volatility in the nickel market and what could happen with Russia's most favored nation status in the WTO. That'll be on Wednesday for AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this week? Stop by the Intelligent Ag booth to talk with their specialist on how to overcome spraying and fertilizer spreading challenges and learn more about their new Recon Spray Sense solution that monitors real-time flow and pressure of all nozzles on sprayers. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the Intelligent Ag booth on Friday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. to talk about these hot topics in agriculture. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.